Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy Mac, and tonight our Cleveland Cavaliers don't actually take on anybody. It's an off night, and that means I get to relax and open up the old It's Cavalier mailbag and answer some questions from you guys. And I got a lot of submissions this time around, so I'm going to try to get around to all of them, so stick around to the end of the episode. And if you are by chance new here, consider subscribing to the channel. I post new Cavs content regularly, and you never know what you might find. Housekeeping aside, it's time to dig right into the mailbag for our first question, which comes from the Cavs Jack, or rather Jack from Twitter, a pretty dope follow, to be honest. Check him out. Jack asks, what would you like to see from Evan Mobley as he gets ramped up for normal minutes? Well, for me, that's honestly a really good question, Jack. The Cavs should be in no rush to get Mobley starters minutes with how they've been operating lately. He will almost certainly be on a minutes restriction upon returning, which is now rumored to be tomorrow's game against a very dangerous Los Angeles Clippers team that has won eight of its last nine games as of recording this and is currently uh, riding a five-game winning streak. They, they can't be taken lightly. That much is for certain. And although Evan Mobley's return should immediately help from a defensive standpoint, I don't want Cleveland to overdo it here. I don't want them to rush him back just because we're facing a tough opponent, right? And I realize none of that actually answers your question, though. So what I do personally want to see from Evan Mobley as he gets ramped up for those normal minutes, first off, I want to see whether or not he can move like he had been prior to the injury right does he still have the movement from a lateral standpoint because it's what makes him such a valuable defender his ability to defend the rim as well as switch out onto the perimeter is key to what makes the Cavs front court pairing of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley so damn appealing if the surgery he had to his left knee has sapped him of some of that lateral uh, mobility it could take some time to get it back as he plays his way into game shape I would also like to see Mobley take what is given to him from the three-point line. Throughout his lengthy absence, we have seen more than a few videos of him now knocking down uncontested triples in practice or at a shoot-around or something like that. I want to see that play out on the court when it matters. It would also put to bed this silly notion that Dean Wade should keep starting due to space and concerns in the front court. Alrighty now, our next question comes from Brother DJ who asks, will it be better to play Ev like a wing rather than a forward when he's sharing the floor with J.A., especially given J.A.'s explosion this year? That is a tough question to answer, DJ. On the one hand, Jared Allen is playing out of his fucking mind right now. Since Mobley and Garland have been out of the lineup, J.A. is putting up averages of 18.3 points, 12.9 boards, and 3.7 assists while completing over 63.7% of his field goals. He is one of only three players in the entire NBA to average at least 18, 12, and 3 over that stretch, with the others being Giannis, who he just did battle with twice, and Demonis Sabonis. That's all-star level company to be in, to say the least. No way around it. He's played at an all-star level, and I hope he gets rewarded for it. That said, on the other hand, in reference to Evan, how can you truly play him like a wing when you need shooting out there from the wing, or rather the three, and Evan cannot necessarily do that consistently? You got to play him like a big, in my opinion. That doesn't change. Does that mean you can't allow Jarrett to operate much the same way that he has been uh, as of late. 
no i i don't think that changes things you gotta you gotta look at what he's been doing from an offensive standpoint he's been using dho's to free up shooters and find cutters on the move He's also been shooting the mid-range jumper a little bit more. He's actually 8 of 14 over the course of these last 18 games, uh, games Sands, Mobley, and Garland. Other than that, he's still running the floor, looking like a lob threat, and putting back a ton of shots. Only seven players are scoring more of their points this season off of putbacks. He's just been more confident and, and more involved, and I think that's the key. Like, get him involved. Now, I will say there will be an inherent amount of touches that he loses due to the return of Bobby. That's undeniable. It's going to happen. The solution, in my opinion, is minute staggering, as silly as it sounds, right? It's just, it's trivial, much like they did last season. Except this year, the Cavs are far more equipped to put four shooters around either of their star bigs at any given time. They will start together and probably close together, but you can fill the whole of the 48 minutes of any given game with multiple lineups that feature one or the other at the five if need be. And you're probably going to have to do that anyways since Tristan Thompson is out for a while and Damian Jones is not quite proven. Hope that answers the question, my man. Next up, we got Nick Burns, who asks, when we're fully healthy, will Merrill continue to get playing time? I feel like he has to, but curious what your thoughts are. So this is an easier one to answer, but not exactly set in stone. Uh, with his current play, there is no way to sit Merrill completely. As of right now, Merrill's per game minute total is sitting at 16.6 minutes per game which is by far the highest mark of his career, and he is rewarding the Cavs in return by contributing 8.8 .8 points and knocking down 42.8% of his triples. In fact, 2.5 threes per game are tied with Max Struess for second most on the team. Those numbers raise up even higher since Evan and DG have been out. In his 16 appearances since then, Merrill is averaging 13 points per game and shooting 43% from three-point distance. The man is literally knocking down a team leading 3.6 trays per game during the stretch, and he has been a correlating factor in team going 12-4 and four in those games. No other NBA reserve has knocked down more than Merrill's 58 total triples during that stretch as of recording this. He's a fucking flamethrower. You have to play him. No way around it. You got to get him out there. So here's the thing, though. At full strength, the rotation will undoubtedly feature the likes of Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Karis LeVert, and Isaac Coro. Those seven are as good as locks, in my opinion. The next grouping of players is where it gets a little bit tricky. George Niang didn't have a great start to the season, but has really turned things around as of late. He literally just dropped his career high a few games back against the Bucks, in which he was able to knock down 13 of his 14 total field goal attempts. He can space the floor, and he warrants minutes by virtue of doing so. Dean Wade is a very good defender who recently graded out as the league's best wing stopper and defender by B-Ball Index, and he has actually been shooting the ball very well himself lately. He is knocking down over 41.3% of his three-point attempts, which is by far the highest mark of his career, but it also comes with the caveat that we all love, right? Low volume. His 3.8 three-point attempts currently ranks seventh on the team. Niang is actually the next highest at 4.9. That doesn't seem like a big gap, but it actually is. In order for Dean to completely usurp Niang, he needs to not only provide great positional and point of attack defense, but he also has to shoot the ball at a respectable rate. 
Those two may battle for regular minutes. And then there is Meryl, who can shoot the absolute lights out. He figures to be the eighth or ninth man, assuming JB deploys at least a nine-man rotation. This all comes down to minutes, which is an inexact science within itself due to the flow of certain games. But for the sake of answering this question, I'd say Meryl plays and gets around 15 to 18 minutes per game, and that number could fluctuate depending upon the performance of players like Max Struess and Isaac Okor. Fair enough. Let's keep this thing rolling, shall we? Next question comes from FL, who asks, what's the perfect rotation when everyone is healthy? Now that we've seen some of what these guys can do a little bit more of. Well, this sort of incorporates a lot of what I said in the previous question. The starting five, I think, is set in stone. Sorry, Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade, back to the bench you go until further notice. That really leaves you to figure out what to do with the bench unit that now consists of Okoro, Wade, Karis LeVert, Sam Merrill, George Niang, and of course, Damian Jones, who is filling in for Tristan Thompson. And if I were JB, my nine-man rotation would be DG, Spida, Max, Evan, Allen, Karis, Okoro, Merrill, and Wade. Though I think JB will probably lean towards George Niang. And if we go 10 deep, Wade and Niang both play with sprinkles of Jones when needed. That's where I stand. And yes, I know Craig Porter Jr. is nowhere to be found. And I know that's going to piss some people off, but so be it. Our next question comes from friend of the pod, Tony Pesta, who asks, what do you have more faith in translating to the playoffs, their defense or their offense? Excellent question, Tony. As of now, I have more faith in their offense translating because of what the newfound spacing has done. And yes, I know the reintroduction of both DG and Evan Mobley will likely trigger an adjustment period, but I do feel like the spacing that has been such a boon for this team this season will help the offense as a whole carry over the Cavaliers now have the ability to further stagger the minutes of Evan and Allen should they wish to and surround both with four shooters at all times if need be they also now have sustained proof of how easily Donovan Mitchell can flip the proverbial switch and function as the team's lead guard if needed it's really about what's needed most at any given time Mitchell can morph into whatever you need him to be and this more than anything leads me to believe that JB will try out some new lineups and stagger the minutes of Garland and Mitchell so that they can have one or the other on the court at nearly all times or pretty close to it so that the team no longer has minutes without a real point guard on the court no more Karis LeVert minutes uh, as as the only ball handler on the court you probably will see that less and less I am also a little anxious to see what Max Struess will look like with Darius Garland back out there as his numbers are completely different when DG plays as opposed to when he doesn't. In the 20 games that DG and Max Struess have been able to play together, Max is averaging 14.3 points and shooting the three ball at a very good clip, 40.5% from distance to be exact. In the 23 games sans DG, he has averaged 11.6 points and completed just 27.5% of his triples. He very badly needs DG, or at the very least, DG's return will help him tremendously. Next, we got Brett Clapper who asks, My main multi-part question for everyone, what do you expect from the core four plus max lineup when they're fully healthy? Do you think that they will do anything different stylistically based on the success the team has had without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley? Don running point, maybe. Well, uh, this is another question that kind of loops in with a previous one 
at some levels, I suppose. You could really tell the difference between how Max Drews has played with the likes of Darius Garland and without it. And I'll add that his numbers with Evan Mobley have behaved in a similar fashion. 14.5 points per game and 38.5% from three-point distance with Mobley in there and 11.2 points per game and 28.8% from range without him. You can clearly tell that he was developing a really solid chemistry with Evan in particular prior to him going out. Struess's time with Bam Adebayo and the Miami Heat kind of helped with that, and in his absence, he's also built a solid chemistry with Jared Allen. Both are using DHOs to free up Struess for a shot or two, and in the case of Mobley, straight up pick and roll sets. And at full strength, I expect that chemistry to pick up right where it left off and remain there in the case of Allen. And from a stylistic standpoint, I see them trying to get Allen more touches from the elbow so that they can keep him more involved like they've been doing so during the stretch. And it will be really vital, in my opinion, that Allen take the mid-range pull-ups when they're available. As for Don running the point, while I don't think he will replace Darius Garland at the point completely, I think we all see that they have unlocked something here with Mitchell at the point. In fact, he's playing by far the most point guard of his career at this point. He has spent 65% of his minutes at lead guard, according to Cleaning Glass. And while much of that has been out of sheer necessity, I can't not, you know, I have to acknowledge that, right? The injury of it all with Darius Garland not being out there, with Ty Jerome not being available, yada, yada, etc. Uh, we can't lie and act like Donovan hasn't been doing really well in that role. Over the course of these last 18 games, he is not only putting up a ton of points, but a ton of assists as well. He's put up averages of 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 7.6 per game, uh, 7.6 assists per game during that stretch. His 28 points per game rank 7th, while his 7.6 assists rank 11th since then. He's either the NBA's best combo guard or on a short list of them at this point, which makes his all-star starter snub even more irritating. He's either the NBA's best combo guard or on a short list of them at this point, which makes his all-star starter snub even more irritating. I think that they could and should stagger his and Garland's minutes to get the most out of them. Either way, I think there will be small stylistic changes based off of what was found to work during the stretch, but not a major overhaul necessarily on how they operate together. Next, we got Kyle Jacobs, who wants to know the following. Is there any realistic trade target that you think would play consistent minutes in the Cavs rotation? Obviously, depending upon who is traded. Honestly, I don't think there is one, Kyle. Uh, not without sacrificing a significant piece or pieces in return, like a Karis Levert or an Isaac Okoro, both of which I highly doubt the Cavs would want to give up on. Uh, I know that Okoro is due to hit restricted free agency, but I don't think that means that they are actively shopping him. And Karis has mostly played at a six-man-of-the-year level in 2023-24, while also being on a pretty team-friendly salary. I don't think they're anxious to, to, to move up off of him. And I don't think a few second rounders or some combo of reserves we currently have actually brings in a needle mover or somebody who can overtake somebody who's already in the rotation. Uh, there was a report that surfaced lately that the Cavs are looking into getting a veteran point guard to help shore up their backcourt since they technically are without Garland at the moment and haven't yet converted Craig Porter Jr. And Ty Jerome just isn't healthy. Uh, how true that is, I'm not sure, but the moral of the story is that I don't think there's a realistic target out there 
just yet, especially with some of the reported asking prices for players who have been publicly made available. Got an interesting one here. KD or rather Limitless asks, when fully healthy, do you think it's a good idea to have only two of the core four on the floor at the time or at a time rather? Don and JA or Evan and DG and just fill the spots with spacing and defense. Uh, now, the way I'm reading this might not be how you meant it or intended it to sound or read. So I'm just I'm just going to put that out there. Right. I'm not sure how to take this. Honestly, if you're saying that we should look into bringing two of the core four off the bench and bring them on when the other two leave it, I can't get on board with that because I really do believe that the core four belong on the court together for some combination of minutes, right? They will probably open the games together, probably close together or something close to it. Um, if you're saying that we should stagger the minutes of the core four as much as we can, I can get on board with that a little bit more. Essentially, I think this really boils down to the bigs and having optimal spacing on the floor at all times are pretty close to it. And I think the Cavs will do their best to stagger the minutes of Allen and Mobley so that there are shooters around them as often as possible. They will probably also allow Don or DG to run the second unit or some combo of them at times so that there is a point guard presence on the floor constantly. I think that there is a natural progression of things here that is going to occur in regards to what we've seen play out over these 18 games without DG, without Evan, and how certain guys' roles have been adjusted. Um, I I think the best way that you can go about this is to kind of try out some of the things that worked uh, beforehand and add in some of the things that you've learned work since then right like don running the point i think there will be stretches where you have him out there now i think it will also ensure that the calves get the most out of their core by doing so and what everybody brings to the table quick and painless one up next wayne or wjr 1597 asks who is our legit second option on offense come playoffs when everything slows down like i said quick and painless uh quick and painless darius garland it's Darius Garland, assuming he is healthy, right? Darius Garland as of now. A lot of people probably believe that Evan Mobley needs to be that in order for the Cavs to be the best version of themselves, purely based off of potential. But to me, the second best player on this team is still Darius Garland. Jared Allen is a close third as of now. In his first postseason series, Garland averaged 20.6 points and 5 assists while shooting a respectable 43.8% from the field, including 38.7% from three-point range. He was just inconsistent, just like everybody else. Something I think will change with the added spacing this season and experience. We move. Alrighty, let's fire up another. This comes from Prime Time on Twitter who asks, With our depth, do we make a move or stand pat at the deadline personally man uh, i hope they stand pat and leave well enough alone that's just me i know a lot of people would probably don't feel the same way and that's not to say that if an opportunity to get better via trade comes along that we shouldn't do it but rather i'm okay staying put i i suppose and if this recent stretch of games has shown us anything it's that we now have the depth that we have been longing for uh that's just the reality for Cavs fans Players like Sam Merrill and Craig Porter Jr. may not have even gotten a real look how we stayed healthy. And now that they are close to returning to full strength, some of these guys, or at least one of them, could end up being the odd man out. 
that's not a bad problem to have. It just speaks to the considerable depth that the team has at its disposal, which is something they couldn't have necessarily said last year. I vote stay pat or stay put. So many questions, so little time. So I'll pick one more. And that comes from Josh Formoso, who asks, what are the Cavs' biggest flaws? Ah, man, oh, man. Damn it. Josh, all these questions about positive Cavs things, and you hit me with a doozy like this. Uh, I kid, obviously. I'm joking around here. That's a great question, and that forces me to look at this team objectively, something I struggle at at times. <laughs> um, what are the Cavs' biggest flaws? At this point, I say that their biggest issue at the moment is proven depth at the backup five, if that counts. I know that's kind of a cop-out, but some real falls this team has is this propensity to turn the ball over so needlessly. There have been a lot of clumsy turnovers over the course of the year already, and I think that it could come back to bite them in the ass if they don't cut them down. They currently rank 19th in the NBA in turnovers at 13.9 per game. They also have been atrocious at the free throw line. They miss a ton of freebies, and as a result, they are shooting just 76.7% from the charity strike. But what's perhaps even more worrisome is the fact that they don't generate a ton of attempts in the first place. They rank 27th in the NBA in free throw attempts per game with just 20.9 per outing. They got to figure out a way to generate some contact. I think having Darius and Evan back out there will help as they ranked 17th and 23rd respectively prior to their absences. I hope that answers your question. I know probably not the flaws that you were uh, you were hoping to hear about, but uh, I, I'm at a good place with this team right now. I really feel like they... They're, they're not flawless, right? There's no such thing as a perfect basketball team. There are still things that this team has to work on, but I think those are probably their biggest areas of growth. They're in the top team of rebounding. They're shooting the ball much better as of late, especially with the emergence of guys like Sam Merrow and with George Niang shooting a hell of a lot better. Um, with Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade looking more confident, shooting the ball better. And undoubtedly, I think Max Struess will end up doing much the same once Darius Garland is back out there and he doesn't have to do as much and doesn't have to share such a, a hefty offensive load alongside the likes of Donovan Mitchell out there. So I think DG returning, I think that will help tremendously. Same thing with Evan Mobley, right? I think it takes the pressure off of some of these guys. A lot of questions to figure out. Sorry if there was anybody who submitted a question this time around and I did not get to it. I apologize. Only so many questions can be answered uh, during one of these and I always end up feeling bad. But if I did get you this time, I promise that I'll get you on the next one. Thanks to everybody who participated. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, you guys taking part in this. As we all know, the Cavs will take on the Los Angeles Clippers, a very hot Clippers team that that features a lot of star talent. Uh, uh, they're a really deep team. They will be without Ivanka uh, Zubac, I think. So I think that Jared Allen is probably going to have another stellar, stellar game. Can't wait to see what he does. Hopefully he picks up his 15th double-double. Hopefully we see a, a another masterclass from the likes of Sam Merrill. Um I think Donovan Mitchell is is questionable, maybe probable. I don't know. I haven't checked uh, just yet, but I am very, very curious to see how this team plays up 
uh, against a, a a really good opponent in these Clippers. So with that being said, like I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to me, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good one.